welcome to Spirits and Chat with John and Matt. I am Matt Pullman. And I'm Jonathan Emerson. And this is a podcast where we watch an episode of a classic TV show where the characters are in a play. <laughs> and then we talk about what the show got right and what they got wrong about life in the theater. In the theater. So today we watched The Office. Season 7, Episode 3, it's called Andy's Play, and it is the one where Andy is in a community theater production of Sweeney Todd. <laughs> but before we talk about that, John, tell us what are we drinking right at this very moment. All right, well, we are about to sip on what's called a 7 and 7. Now, traditionally, I think this recipe was actually created uh, by Seagram's, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so- yeah, I think, I think you're right. Seagram so, seven and seven. Yeah, yeah. So um, I I did not have Seagrams on hand. I did, however, have delicious Tullamore Dew Irish whiskey. So that's what I used today to make the seven and seven. And that's uh one point five ounces of the whiskey to uh, seven ounces of uh, you're supposed to use seven up. I could only find Sprite, so I'm I improvised a little. But uh, let's give it a try. Yeah, so is that why they call it a 7 and 7? Because it's 7 ounces of total of, fluid between the, of total liquid between the soda and the the whiskey? Did you just say 7 ounces of whiskey, though? It's, that... Oh, it's it's 7 ounces uh, of, it's, it's not 7 ounces of whiskey, 7 ounces of the 7-Up and mm-hmm. 1.5 ounces, uh, 1.5 ounces of uh, whiskey. Oh, okay. Yeah, I never knew why they got the 7 and 7. Yeah, thing. I think, I think, well... Uh, oh, you know what? It might actually be. Now, even that doesn't make. I was gonna say if it were five point, if it were one point five ounces of whiskey to five point five of the of, of Are the. Are you trying to like <laughs> add to seven? Maybe to make the math work. Yeah, but uh, okay. It, it might just work with the name Seagram Seven and Seven. Okay. Yeah, well, this turned into a weird SAT math problem. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's a good drink. I don't know how it fits into the office, but it's literally what we had on hand. Yeah, um, we really should have done something so, from hey, here, Scranton, but. That's fine. I, I think that Meredith probably has had a few seven and sevens in her day. So we'll call this Meredith, Meredith's <laughs> seven, 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 seven and seven. seven. Okay, I like it. Because <laughs> it's all confuzzled. Cool. Uh, so speaking of Meredith, in the office, uh, what is your background with the office? I think this is, pro- this is the most recent show that we've discussed so far. Uh, yeah. We're only four or five episodes in, but out of all the ones we did, this is even though The Office isn't a new show, it's the most recent show. I think this is the first show that premiered after you and I were together. Yes, that's correct. Everything else was prior to that. Um, so my history with The Office, uh, you know, the, the Office is something I watched fairly regularly. It's one of those shows that, for me, absolutely doesn't require... It's so different episode to episode. You absolutely don't really need any backstory. You just... You just watch the show because it's funny, and it's funny writing. A lot of it's very dated when I'm doing a rewatch now. <laughs> um, yeah, it's weird to watch stuff that is dated that <laughs> came out when you were in your 20s and 30s. Exactly. Uh, so I watched it pretty infrequently, and I, I know we're we're kind of doing a slight rewatch now uh, of the uh, old reruns that are happening on on Philo. So yeah, Comedy Central via Philo because yes. we don't pay a lot for cable because we have that, that <laughs> we was cut, whole, yeah we cut the cord and then i mean we cut the cord years ago but uh and now we yeah. have like a million subscription services well so we're it, like typical millennials <laughs> where we don't have cable we just have a hundred streaming services so i think our is history with the office i remember you may not remember this 
So The Office premiered in 2005, so I would have been, I would have been a senior in college. Okay. Then. But I remember you actually turning it on during season one, and you're like, oh, we should watch, we were just flipping channels. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, I've seen the show, this is funny. So <laughs> I was like, okay. I and introduced like, so, you to a show. All yeah, right. I had never seen it. This is like episode maybe three or four, but I do remember season one and just kind of being like, oh, okay, this is good. Um, so The Office is a spinoff of the British version of The Office, which uh, aired, I think, early 2000s. I remember a lot of people being a fan of The British Office, which The British Office, correct me if I'm wrong, some listener out there, it's like 10 episodes. There's only two seasons. Okay. There's two seasons and a Christmas episode, and that is it. Um, but The US Office is like nine, yeah, eight or nine that seasons. Was, that was a long and run. I remember when The US Office came out, there was a lot of uh, talk from people who are fans of the British office that it wasn't as good, that it was a ripoff, and some people didn't like it at first. But I think it took a while for the US office to kind of grow into its own thing and right. become, have its own identity. And then I personally feel like the US office is better than the British. I tried really hard. We did. Uh, I watched attempt. about two or three episodes of the British office, which is on Amazon or Netflix. I don't like the British office. Maybe it's because I don't watch a lot of British humor. I remember growing up watching, like, late at night on PBS, like, Are You Being Served? <laughs> or I do like AbFab. AbFab, I've, I've yeah. I've those. Well, AbFab is really love. I, I love AbFab, though. Yeah, I don't like... But that's kind of, like, written for middle-aged gay people, so... <laughs> the, the first season of The Office was very much trying to be the British office in tone, in, in that it's kind of a... It's literally a darker tone right. as in the lighting is dark sure and the humor is very dry and michael scott is not very nice they kind of make him kind of a greasy jerky womanizing like or not womanizing but a, like just, harassment like just a jerk yeah, yeah he's a jerk and i don't at least early on early on in the first seasons but in season two they kind of lighten his character and the thing about michael scott is he's such a nice guy but he can't see anyone else's point of view but his own and that's where the humor comes from <laughs> right and also they change his character to be that it's not that he's incompetent he's actually really good at sales he just cannot see beyond his own point <laughs> of view but he is kind-hearted deep down and i think yeah i think that makes kind of a funnier tv show dealing with people who are nice but just so in their heads that they it leads them to these well, situations. His personality makes him, and you know, considering I I have uh, you know such a sales background, um, I've met hundreds of people like him over the years, um, and I, I just think he he is an excellent would have been and was on the show an excellent salesman. But uh, he becomes one of those managers that basically doesn't do anything. If his sales team weren't excellent, you know, he kind of just sits in his office and takes calls from Jan. <laughs> he, he does, but there are episodes, because I did a uh, rewatch about two okay. years ago. So my history is is that I think you and I were watching it pretty regularly the first couple seasons. Uh, we moved to New York in 2006, and our first year, we did not have cable. No. So <laughs> we did not watch TV. TV just kind of happened to us. We were like living in the 50s, like Lucy and Ricky, with literal bunny ear antennas. So each night, there was about three options so of course we're gonna watch the office because if it's the office nanny 911 in 60 minutes <laughs> like the office is gonna be the it's, best thing yes <laughs> so i was with it till probably about season five or six and then it wasn't uh scheduled tv for me um especially after 
Steve Carell left. I really, the last two seasons, I only checked in occasionally. I watched the finale when it ended. But then two years ago, I binge watched the entire thing when it was all on Netflix. And it's an easy binge because the episodes are like 20 minutes. They're super fast, yeah. So you can get through the entire series in maybe a month or two if you're just watching a couple a day. Okay. So overall, I I like it a lot. I I will not say The Office is in my top 10 favorite shows, but... I, I like it a lot, and it's very rewatchable. Um, it, it's become <laughs> part of my weekend sitcom. Alongside Roseanne and the Golden yeah, Girls. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> they're always rerun. At, at 8 a.m., I will watch the news for 10 minutes to make sure the world is on fire, and then switch to one of those three, because my brain at, at that time during the weekend early cannot handle anything I, heavier. I really like... So I, I'm becoming fonder of the show's, uh, like... The seasons where it, where the character it's like the middle of the series, uh, where the the I'll call them the offshoot characters, the Creeds, the Merediths, um, you know when those characters really, I I wouldn't say find themselves, but I would say the one or two quirks that they investigate early on. You talked to me about this yesterday, the, the flanderization of certain yeah. characters. So what the flanderization means, um, some TV critic coined that term is that. During the first season of The Simpsons, Flanders was not super religious at all. What Flanders represented was the perfect neighbor. Right. Um, he had more money, more status, was in better shape, loved his... Whatever The Simpsons had, Flanders had a little better. Right. And then they found out he also went to church a lot and was very Christian. And as the show got forward in the series, that's his sole character trait, is that Flanders is... Uh, hyper Christian, religious so, and left-handed. Those are the two. <laughs> yeah, so it's just like, or it's like in the Golden Girls, uh, or in Friends, like Joey and Rose. Those characters are the dumb characters. As the show goes on, those characters get more and more stupid. Yes, that if it, it was in real life, these people would walk into traffic. They're so <laughs> dumb. But it's when they, it's when a writer finds a small character trait, and then as the show progresses, they just become that trait. And in the first season of The Office, you have all these auxiliary, uh, auxiliary characters who are kind of just background, but they do find little quirks, whereas, like, Meredith is a promiscuous <laughs> middle-aged drunk. Alcoholic, And yeah. Creed's background. We have no Nobody idea. No one knows who he yeah. is, what his job is. But uh, the not the, but the not knowing anything about Creed, that that he has this mystery background, that becomes the quirk. Well, that, in, the, that in the finale, the FBI arrest him. Like, he's been on the... <laughs> Apparently, he's been on their most wanted list for like oh my God. 20 years. <laughs> I forgot it, about that. It's not even really supposed to be in the office. Uh, <laughs> Kevin, it turns out, applied to work in the warehouse. Oh. It doesn't have an accounting degree, but Michael just thought he'd be good at accounting. So so you you find all these kind of funny backstories. Uh, and then we get to Andy Bernard, who this episode centers around. So Andy comes in in season three. He's one of the offshoot characters when... Jim goes to another Dunder Mifflin branch to get away from right. Pam because they had a kiss and it was awkward. And so Andy is part of that new office crew that Jim's interacting with. But originally they tried to make Andy the Dwight counterpart. Like he was yes. the Dwight of, I forget where Jim went to. Oh, that was, uh, uh, what was it? It's not, so they're in Scranton. That was the Princeton uh, branch or something. I, I, I don't can't think remember. so. Princeton is in New oh, Jersey. Oh, Philly? In the... Uh, was it well, we'll look this up. Uh, <laughs> uh, but 
originally I hated the character of Andy because his whole quirk was he had an anger management issue. Right. And that when Jim would try to prank him, instead of Dwight just like kind of in a weird way going along with it or being or taking Jim so literally that Dwight makes a fool of himself, Andy just got insanely like violently angry. Right. And it was almost uncomfortable to watch. But so once he comes to Scranton, they sent I think the writers realized like if we want to keep this character we can't have a character who's violently threatening the other actors or the other characters in each episode. That's not funny. Well, when That's you get just into uncomfortable. His, when they gave him a, back, a backstory at that point, uh, too, which made him a lot more relatable. Like, you learn in a funny way, um, him and his dad have a strained, weird relationship. And, mm-hmm. uh, like, he never felt like he was good enough for his dad. And he was competing against his brother. And he came from a very well Yeah, they make him more empathetic. But, but the, in the show, literally, they send him to his character to anger management. Oh, right. I think the writers realize, like, <laughs> we need to... We can't just say this character isn't a violent sociopath. We right. have to... Right, and so he goes to anger management, and he comes back, and then he's more of a lovable goof. Um, but in this episode, he is performing in a production of Sweeney Todd. Before we get into the episode, uh, what is your Sweeney Todd background? I assume it's similar to mine. Yeah, so the the first, uh, I mean, I, I've been familiar with it since my late high school, like, community theater days. Like, I've always been aware of it. Um, I think... I learned more about the music and the show itself after we got together, and then mm-hmm. eventually the first production that I saw um, was the one we saw with Patti Lapone mm-hmm. uh, when she played tuba, and I thought, and I, I incidentally played tuba, so I, I thought so that was awesome. So let's clarify, <laughs> Patti Lapone, and she'll come up later in this podcast for an unrelated wait, reason. Who was it? Pat, wait, wait, Patti Lapone plays Mrs. Lovett. Yes. In the production we saw, I have to go from A to B because <laughs> you just said we saw Patty Lapone play tuba, which may confuse some of our fellow listeners. Okay. The production we saw was a John Doyle production where all the actors were also playing instruments. Yes. So that was the conceit of that production. In that production, Patty Lapone played Mrs. Lovett, and her instrument was occasionally the tuba. <laughs> so yes, Patty Lapone played tuba, but in I don't that want anyone to show. I don't want yeah. anyone to think that Patty Lapone played a character named Tuba. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. Uh, so Patty Lapone was Mrs. Lovett, and we saw Michael Cerverus as Sweeney Todd. Yes, and they're both very good. That was my first Sweeney Todd. Ever. That's been my only Sweeney Todd, my only professional Sweeney Todd, besides the movie. And then we saw so, the movie, yeah. Yeah, that's my only background with that show. But I thought the production we saw was amazing. I thought that was really good. I didn't know if I'd even enjoy watching a show where actors are playing instruments. But in that show, they really made it work. And, and, and I'm super interested in, like, I hear the one that they did at, like, they turned the theater into a pie shop. That was the off Broadway one. Yeah, there was a there was an immersive Sweeney Todd in New York a few years ago, which okay. we missed. So there's Sweeney Todd's been around forever, and I it's probably my favorite Sondheim score. Yeah, I'm thinking of in my head. I'm thinking of all the Sondheims. Yeah, like, yeah, like Into the Woods and Into the Woods yeah. Sweeney, but I like Sweeney a okay. lot. Okay, let's get into the show because yes. we're 15 minutes in. <laughs> so this the cold open. They just go for it. Uh, we open in the office, and Andy barges in with his cast. In full costume. In full costume, and they start singing the opening number. And apparently, this is part of a viral... He calls it viral marketing. Yes. Which is clever. I, I give them credit that all the actors who have day jobs, I assume, took off work. It's... So they could get into full costume and go to Dunder Mifflin <laughs> <laughs> to convince 
eight people to, <laughs> to come and see the maybe, show. Maybe they performed in the warehouse, too. Who knows? Or maybe they're just going from place to place to place. That's Maybe they're going to coffee shops or to restaurants. That's what he just, said. We've, or that's, I, he, didn't see it. he didn't say that directly, but that's what I assumed anyway. So let's play our first clip, which is halfway uh, through them performing for The Office. of Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street. We opened in a couple of weeks at the Loose Crew Playhouse here in Scranton, and today just doing a wee bit of viral marketing. <laughs> <laughs> I take the tail of Sweeney Todd. <laughs> he served a dark and a vengeful god. He served a dark and a vengeful god. <laughs> what happens then? Well, that's the play, and he wants to give it away. <gasps> but Sweeney Todd... When did the cast list go up? <laughs> like a month ago. Really? They didn't call me. Who am I playing? Oh, <laughs> poor Michael. Oh, Michael. <laughs> so, I guess it it does seem weird that again his cast is performing in an office, but I remember in full costume going down to Barnes and Nobles. Yes. And embarrassing myself uh-huh. and passing out flyers. So I guess it's not so. Odd that we're standing out in Times Square handing out flyers for a, a show. Uh, I've or... never done that. I've paid people, <laughs> paid to, do people to do that. That's that, I mean, Times Square is different than the reception area of Dunder Mifflin, right? But right. I guess it is. It's I we did that in high school plays where you would just kind of go around just to create a little publicity. Usually, a news crew might be there to uh, be like, yeah. today the cast of yeah, 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 is the, and now we we're going to interview. We were two constantly, of them. we were constantly in our in our community theater days, uh, getting up with casts at five in the morning to to go to the theater and uh, and be on the morning show. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's another <laughs> thing. Another note that I made about this is, I think one thing this episode does well is the cast comes in and they are all in full decked out in costumes and they're all they have makeup and hair and it actually looks like they were costumed by an actual community theater costume oh yes so these are good costumes but these are not expensive costumes i wrote down party city party city party city (laughs) because they have full-on wigs and makeup but it actually looks like this community theater had a budget but not a big budget it looks exactly like how you would imagine a community theater costume would look like so i give them credit for that it's it's a hard thing to costume because nbc probably has a huge budget but for them to spend money to make something look not expensive expensive, it's it's a weird balance um and also and i'll say this later in when we get to the performance is that these actors are good yes but they're not broadway level either so i was reading the trivia about this episode and originally the writers wanted to have the cast and the actors be really bad, like be bad singers, and that'd be part of the joke. But then another writer was saying, you know, there probably are good actors and good singers in Scranton. So it's probably more realistic to have these actors just be good. Good actors, good singers. And this cast, they are all good. Yeah. They're all very committed to their characters. They're all the cor- okay the, voices. The choreography okay. is yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. So, so it does... This looks like a community theater production 
that you would see in Pennsylvania. And 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 that you would likely appreciate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a weird balance. Also, because it's NBC, they could have gotten actual Broadway performers mm-hmm. to play these characters and to sing the hell out of it. Right. They could have, like, spent their budget on that, but they, they struck a good balance. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so I like that. It was a good little bit of nuance. I love Angela's what, what is happening. Is, what the hell is happening? Oh, my God. And the thing is, like, so when you are doing this type of marketing, when you... Random, I'm trying to when you uh, randomly take your cast of uh, fellow musical theater actors to a random Barnes and Noble to market a show, you do get customers that react just like that. Yeah, and not everyone <laughs> wants to have a traveling troupe of actor singers in their face when they're trying to shop for... at the mall or at Barnes and Noble. Yeah, or... <laughs> when they're trying to get their latte or get their latest James Patterson novel or whatever, they aren't always appreciative of lesbians up in their face my favorite moment in this whole scene is michael going i auditioned for this a month ago who am i playing oh poor michael and i think that that does fit with this character because we have seen that michael in the past has taken improv classes and has not done well toastmasters improv improv. yeah so michael wants to perform but i think michael just likes attention i don't think Michael is in it for altruistic or for artistic reason. I think Michael just likes being on a stage, right. talking in front of people. And you, you do see that in comedy, in theater, these middle-aged, I'm just going to say men, because it's mostly men who get into it, because like, oh, this is a way that I can get attention. Or if they're doing comedy, because I was in stand-up for a very brief period of my life, <laughs> you see middle-aged, kind of weird men who have this mentality of, oh, this is a way I can be mean in public. Right. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> uh, but the show goes on. Uh, Andy tries to give Aaron comms. And, and that two go... comms, oh, my God, that two comms is yeah. so traditional. Yeah. that That's traditional for uh, community right. theater, off-off-Broadway, off-Broadway. Um, yeah, it's like, it's it's basically like, in lieu of paying your salary, here's two free and tickets. And whenever you're giving someone comps, like, for an actor, it's such an honor. It's a big deal. Because you only yeah. have a few, and like, hey, you're getting the comps. And if someone doesn't want them, that's kind of a kick it's in the crotch. It's a huge, <laughs> totally. <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't make a good point that, that this is closing night, because then they have to turn the theater over to the Miss Fitness pageant. <laughs> I had to rewind that. I couldn't tell what he says. He kind of mumbles it, but it's like the Miss Fitness pageant. What's What's a little bit weird to me, and I, I actually wrote this note at the very end of my, my notes because I didn't think about it till the end, but it's actually kind of sad that they... Uh, so everyone came to see opening night and when your office full of people comes and sees you in a show which we'll see in this episode shortly it it can be a great thing but i just noted that um they only they spent three months putting up a musical to do one night of performances that's just like no he says that this is closing night oh he said this is closing yeah he said it to aaron he's like i have two comps for closing night so maybe maybe they said like great performances okay maybe a weekend would at least be believable yeah Yeah. like most shows are either at least two weekends sure maybe he's waited till closing night because he wanted the show to be in the best shape i've done that before where it's like (laughs) so the show opens this weekend I would recommend you come next weekend because then we're going to have all our shit together because there's some other things going on that I cannot control and I want to not have those influence your opinion on my performance. So why don't you come next weekend and hopefully this will let be us, in a little... Let, let us iron out the kinks. Exactly. Okay, so then we get into the next scene, which is... Guys, I'm sorry. This is a hard show to break down scene by scene by scene because the office is so 
quick pace. There are at least 21 scenes. Oh, yes. So I'm going to go as fast as I can. Um, we have Andy and Michael uh, discussing whether or not Michael is going to show up for Andy's play. It would mean so much to me if you came to my show tonight. I can't, Andy. It's too hard. That's... I put everything I had into that audition. Do you understand that? If it makes you feel any better, no one who auditioned for the part of Sweeney Todd got that part. They had to bring in a ringer. Well... This guy's, like, world-class. Should not feel bad. I'm asking you, thespian to thespian, will you please be the bigger man and come to my show? I wish I could, Andy, but I can't. I have plans that night. I'm going to see a friend in a play called Sweeney Todd... You're that friend. I'm going to see your play. I totally understand where Michael's coming from. Oh, when you yes. audition for a show and you don't get it and it hurts, it's really hard to be the bigger person and go see it. So oh, I yeah. totally understand that. That it, That's not a good feeling. No, no. And especially if you have a friend in it that you then... First of all, there's the, the feeling... It's, this is one of the hardest things about... Um, you know, even, even working any, any form of acting where you are friends with other artists or you're, you're both artists in a relationship, it can be, you know, uh, it can be really challenging, uh, like if your friend got in and you didn't, you know, because then you feel obligated to go see it. You're kind of, oh, especially at Blake. Yeah. And that same thing would happen when I was doing comedy improv sketch where they had an audition for teams and then a bunch of your classmates or friends would get on a team and you're happy for them, and you're still all friends, but then you kind of have to go see the show, or go see a show, and pre- you are happy for them. It, it, it's a mixed bag. It's a, it, yeah. But, I mean, these are complicated things where you're happy that other people are happy, but you also, you know, you want it for yourself. So I also like how Michael decides to go, because they could have written him just to be a bitter uh, a bitter person, but he he goes. I mean, yeah. you, can, you can even see it in his eyes. So we had have a <laughs> freeze on my computer that it probably is not going to be a good feeling, but good for him. And yeah. then we get into there's a couple subplots here, which I'm just going to blow over. We have the subplot of Dwight and Angela who have this agreement in previous episodes that they are going to have sex at least five times so <laughs> she can get pregnant, and that's a whole thing. Procreation and agreement. Jim and Pam are having childcare issues. They want to see the play. They can't get a babysitter. Pam says, well, maybe I'll find some long-lost niece who can do it by tonight. <laughs> and then Andy thinks she's serious and said, that'd be great. That'd be great. Could you do that? <laughs> <laughs> what I really love about this this scene, and it's so true, um, when you're in one of these projects, especially at the community level, like you become a real part of, of that theater community, and it means the world to you. Uh, you know, you've worked so hard to put up the show. So, of course, you want every family member you've ever, uh, you know, every family member, every coworker you've ever worked with it means so much to you and so little to your co-workers exactly like... and <laughs> i will say the one thing i like about this episode and about all the characters they all show up for him yes i can't tell you how many times i've been in a show that has run multiple weekends and had multiple opportunities for people to come and yes. people say like oh i'm coming i can't wait i can't wait to see this and then they don't show up which yeah. i get people have lives things happen but you'll give them your comps and everything yeah, and then they, and they won't show they won't and i totally understand that life gets in the way but that again that is a crappy feeling when 
people say that they are going to come and they don't show. So at least everyone in this episode is honest. Like at least Pam and Jim are honest when they're like, we probably <laughs> won't come because we just had a baby. But they they make it work anyway. And so Stanley good for them. and Stanley's reactions all the time are great, you know. <laughs> but but this this episode he he was really uh, really well primed. Like he had a face expression about every every. He's definitely not a musical theater guy, uh, you know. And you could see it on his face. I also like how Andy in this, um, you know, is really using those salesman skills because everyone in the mm-hmm. office basically told him no. And then mm-hmm. he went, and I've done this, went back around in a circle one by one and turned those no's into yeses. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, he appealed to their emotions. Yes. The guilt. It's, yeah, it's one thing to say to a group of people or to do a Facebook blast or internet thing. But then if you contact people individually, it, it does put them on the spot a little bit or it makes them think twice like oh i guess i this person really wants me to go and i'm sure this was a really hard for jim and pam to have a newborn baby and then yes to leave it with the receptionist (laughs) (laughs) when she says oh i think her name's erin she says yeah i just i really wanted to get into the babysitter game 13 year olds just have a monopoly it's almost like like a babysitter's (laughs) club (laughs) oh i love erin she's great yeah uh that happens further down but yeah so what happens is Andy has a crush on Aaron, or they were in a late relationship. He wants her back. So he wants her to come, but then she, because he pressed Jim and Pam so hard to come, they end up asking Aaron to babysit so she doesn't get to come. Let's skip ahead to (laughs) the Loose Screw Playhouse. Yes. Uh, I made so many notes about this building. This theater is beautiful. (laughs) This, did you see the outside? The I outside has the outside. fairy lights. Oh, they okay. have a big billboard. It's at least a 200, 300 seat theater. Wow. The ushers are all in uniform that match. They have a bar. I'm not saying that most community theaters are not this nice. But I am saying is that most community theaters are not <laughs> this nice. This actually looks more <laughs> like on the level of a regional theater. Yeah. So the difference between regional and community is that when we say regional theater, it's professional. Yes. As in the actors get paid and it's under a contract. You know, community theater is a volunteer organization. So there are really nice community theaters out there. But I was really blown away. I'm like, wow, this theater is five stars. Uh, five out of five. There's beautiful lighting. Mm-hmm. There's there's like beautiful wood paneling. None of the seats are torn up or have duct tape on them. <laughs> and they seem to have a full staff, like a full staff again that is all in matching uniforms and little ushers with like flashlights walking down. I don't know. I I that's my only like real. I'm like realistically, how many like million dollar community playhouses are there in Scranton? It's it's pretty rare. I will say that. If they're the type of company, so what gave it away for me uh, is the, um, what was it, the women's fitness competition coming in the day after closing (laughs) night. So it seems to me that this would be a community theater troupe that is renting space. I don't think so. You said that about the Lanford community players. <laughs> well, if they have, so if you have, if, if you're a rental, if you're a rental I don't house. think it's a rental hall. Okay. For two reasons. One, it's called the Loose Screw Theater, which is such an old-timey theatrical word. And also, if you, I was looking in the background in the lobby, you see framed pictures of okay. all the past productions. And it, these were such quick cuts, I couldn't tell what plays they were spoofing like i think i saw damn yankees or something that looked like once upon a mattress or shakespeare and and these are photos that would probably hang up all year round so it it, 
seems like this is a permanent theatrical venue, but they could rent it out to the women's fitness <laughs> competition just to make a couple extra bucks. I looked at the I looked at the costume design, I looked at the lighting design and the stage itself, and I didn't see I saw good equipment, I saw but I didn't see any of the bells and whistles that would lead me to believe like, you know, uh auto color changers or, or, um, uh, you know, hologram machines or any of that stuff. So I think uh, for me, it was like, um, a very high level community theater, uh, with, with very professional installations. Okay. Yeah. For me, it just looked a little higher level than something like Andy Bernard would be able (laughs) to, uh, get into. He is a good singer, though. He is a good singer, and the actor who plays him, Ed Helms, is actually a singer in real life. He's in a banjo band. He has a musical background. Oh, so, cool. So it does fit uh, that his character would also be a good singer. And before I forget, I read an interesting bit of trivia about okay. this episode. So in one of the deleted scenes, we find out that the actress who is playing Mrs. Lovett is actually Kevin's sister. Oh. But they cut that out. But I just watched um, in the opening scene... When you see all the actors come in singing the Ballad of Sweeney Todd, the woman who plays Mrs. Lovett faints into Kevin's arms. <laughs> so that's probably why yeah. they made that choice, because that is his sister. Sure. most random women would not pick Kevin. <laughs> uh, but I thought that was a fun little bit of trivia. One thing that annoyed me about Andy is he does something that I hate when actors do. I hate when actors do it on TV shows. Our real life is unprofessional. Andy comes out in full costume into the lobby before the show oh, to say hi to his he, friends and yeah. that is that no 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 that is a no no you're crushing professionally community level school plays if you are in costume you should not be talking to the audience unless there is an emergency and you are giving someone the heimlich or delivering their baby that is a no you are crushing the you are crushing the illusion before it even begins yeah yeah, I so boo on Andy. Yes. Boo. We'll talk about boo so, later. Can we talk really quickly about the fact that Daryl is basically knowledgeable about everything? Oh, I love Daryl. I love yeah. So let's get into, <laughs> no, let's get into the next scene yes. where Daryl's reading the program and Daryl realizes that Sweeney Todd is his plumber who fixed his <laughs> toilet. Yeah, that was amazing. And then he basically tells Michael yeah. to shut up because yeah. if they miss the the opening, if they miss the opening number, it'll. Uh, they won't be able to understand the theme of the music. Like exactly. he, he, was, he spoke like he had been college educated about musical theater. I wrote down, if we don't listen to the overture, we won't recognize the themes when they resonate later. <laughs> and so well, Daryl is a musician. Yeah. The actor yeah. is a musician. So right. I, I guess it makes sense that uh, Daryl would also be into community theater. So the show opens. Oh, so Michael has brought balloons, but he has, <laughs> Michael's not realized that he's going to have to sit through the entire show with balloons under his chair. I don't know why he just didn't ask to check them in the coat check. Yeah. Just ask someone like, hey, can I put these somewhere? Or you'd send them backstage. Yeah, I'm, I I don't know. It's Michael. But <laughs> he, he didn't think it through because that's Michael. The show opens. And again, these are good actors. These aren't bad. Yeah. They're not... This, literally looks like a community theater production of Sweeney Todd. And I thought Andy no was more. good. Yeah, Andy's uh, good. What character is he playing with Joanna? So he's playing and Andrew. Andrew, yes. I always get Andrew and Tobias confused. So Tobias is the little boy um, that sings, Nothing's gonna harm you, not while I'm around. Yes. Um, and Andrew is the one who's in love with Joanna. And he goes, I feel exactly. you, Joanna. Yeah, and <laughs> we see that all the co-workers in the, in the audience are actually very impressed 
with an even Dwight. Yeah. Whispering, <laughs> I love when he's whispering to like a rando, like, I know that guy. <laughs> and then he eventually is a terrible salesman, great singer. He's a terrible salesman. Uh-huh. He's a good, good yeah, singer. Uh, we get down to Joanna. I wrote down, good singer. Uh, oh, and the sets. The sets look like community, good community theater level sets. Those were they're good. not Broadway level, but they're good. There, there is a group of crew that <laughs> I almost said something else. I didn't want to generalize, but I assume hardworking, middle-aged, I'm assuming crew members or high school students, because yeah. it's always one or the other, yeah. <laughs> who painted this, and it looks nice. It's, I, w- I would see well, this play. These are well-painted flats with uh, some nice backlighting, mm-hmm. uh, so I thought that was good. It's very atmospheric. Um, oh, yes, so I have a, I have a theory, uh, because the director, after the, after the piece, talked to Michael um, the way in which... Mm-hmm. directors talk to people they don't ever cast yeah so we're getting so this is intermission <laughs> oh so, okay no no we're going straight along yes so at intermission then michael has that awkward run-in with the <laughs> director who did not cast him which is always not fun and i have a theory that michael scott may be on this director's nwj list so what is an NWJ list? <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked. So uh, for those of you who haven't run a casting call uh, or, or produced uh, theater projects or, or run an audition, um, the NWJ list is uh, something that I learned from directors uh, actually long ago in community theater. When I, when I, whoops, whoops, sorry, sorry. When I'd sit in auditions with them as their stage manager or when I was starting out in directing and they had a pile they called the NWJ pile. And this is the pile of script. This, this, so uh, community theaters, uh, a lot of times community theater actors will come back and do show after show after show, or in Michael Scott's case, audition show after show after show. Um, and, you know, in, in one way or another, a uh, during a casting session, you may identify somebody that has been a problem before or is just a terrible performer. You know, you wouldn't, you know, you'll see their audition and see if they can change your mind, but, you know, you're pretty sure you're not going to cast them. So you mark NWJ, <laughs> which stands for um, No Way Jose, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and they go into that pile. <laughs> yeah, I, I would assume I, he is probably on the NWJ list. <laughs> um, so then we get into the second act of the play. And I love Creed because Creed only gets like 10 seconds of airtime each episode. But you never know where. <laughs> I don't think Creed even knows where he is. But That might be my favorite thing that happened. Oh so my I think I have the clip queued up where you're not going to see it. But Creed is in an old timey kind of uh, overcoat. And he's calling. He's on a payphone calling in a review. <laughs> so he has decided that he's going to be an old-timey reviewer. Uh, and then we get into... Things are going well in this play. Like, everything's going well, and then things kind of go bad. Uh, Michael has snuck in a bottle of wine. He just stole a bottle of wine, because I think he's feeling a little bad about himself, and things kind of go to hell. Unfortunately, in this ham-fisted production of Sweeney Todd, the real terror comes from the vocal performances. New paragraph. <laughs> Mr. Todd, Mr. Todd, I found her. You found Joanna. That monster of a judge has locked her away. <laughs> locked her away. There's a little bird fluttering around. <laughs> Do hope it ceases chirping. <laughs> How is that funny? Bird continues to call. Someone please turn off your bird. Oh, for the love of... Turn your phone off. There are signs. Oh. Okay. I won't play the whole thing. Um, so 
Back to Patti Lapone. <laughs> yes. This is very reminiscent as back in 2009, Patti Lapone was playing Gypsy and someone in the audience kept taking pictures during her big number and then she stopped the show and basically to curse him out and had him removed. I'm going to pause right now. If I have the clip, I will drop it in. <laughs> if I So here it is. So either you listened to that clip or you didn't. Uh, <laughs> but basically, she stopped the show and had the audience member removed. And some people in the audience were like, that was really cool. And some were like, that was really professional. So this really reminded me of a Patti Lapone. This was definitely moment. a Patti Lapone moment. And as an actor, I can definitely, I, I don't know any act. So there's two sides to this. But um, as an actor, I both agree with exactly what she did because everyone feels like doing that. Um, when that sort of thing happens, it's distracting. It takes you out of the life of the character. Um, you know, it can it can really bring a performance uh to a halt in, in a very uncomfortable way. Um, on the flip side of that, uh, you know, for, for those that are in the union, you're, you're not really allowed to do that. Um, you know, so well, you're... right. So what happened, what I read, and this is all internet speculation, so please don't sue me, Patty, or anyone. Mm -hmm. What I read is that because when she had her meltdown like that, she extended the length of the show, so all the stagehands, all the theater professionals had to basically work overtime. Okay. So uh, Actress Equity allegedly, allegedly, allegedly was not happy with that. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how I personally judge that. I I've been an actor in plays where cell phones have gone off. People have talked, people get up and leave, people are rude, people have talked back to me oh God, on yes. the stage when that was not appropriate. You just have to keep going. And I guess if you're, if you're Patti Lapone, you have in your when names you, above the marquee on yeah, Broadway, maybe. when you're you the can... best star that long. Yeah, but, I mean, we're, we're getting into the Patti Lapone of everything, and this is a pot office, uh, this is a podcast about The Office. I, I, I don't know. I think... It is the usher's job yes. to remove someone. But if the ushers aren't doing their job, I don't know. You know what, Patty Lapone, you do you. I don't or care. Or in this case, in the yeah. office, if the actor themselves has so, the cell phone. <laughs> yeah, so the Sweeney Todd actor in this, initially he does what a good actor should do, which he tries to improvise, and the Play audience the laughs. Yeah. Um, and then he kind of loses his patience, <laughs> and he breaks character and then eventually what happens is that michael drops his bottle of wine and it <laughs> rolls down oh that's so true which has happened so many times if you because uh theaters they're, they're are built rigged. on it they're rigged which yeah. means it's built on an angle so if you drop something that is circular in shape it is going to roll noisily down. on a concrete floor all the way to the bottom of the stage <laughs> yeah i feel that i remember my grandmother was telling me uh years and years a year decades ago she was at a broadway play and Either in the middle of it or intermission, she dropped lipstick and it rolled all the way down. So at intermission, she had all, her and all these other patrons were like on the ground <laughs> looking for her lipstick. But Aww. it happens. And then his balloons fly up. They pop. It's, they, they hit the and hot then lighting. we hear a baby screaming. Aaron has brought the baby to the theater. <laughs> 
which Jim and Pam are very upset because they didn't want their newborn in a car with it, with the receptionist. Uh, we get to Angela and Dwight. They have their thing. I don't know. It's not interesting. Um, let's skip ahead because now the show is over and they are backstage. And I believe this is, oh, we get to an extra awkward moment where we're backstage and Michael meets the actor who's playing Sweeney Todd. Oh, you're gonna be here? How's the toilet? Silent. Look, congratulations. Thank you. I had no idea. This plumber has pipes. <laughs> right, good job. Hold on. You're the guy who booed me. Mm-hmm. No, there are a lot of people booing you. I wasn't one of them. <laughs> oh, I saw you. And you were the only one. Got your eyes checked, chocolate. Be cool, Michael. I saw this guy kill a bunch of people. Good work. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have to boo him. He was getting a lot of applause, and I just didn't think it was indicative of how people were really feeling. <laughs> how would you like it if we booed you? Oh, it would never happen. Boo. Okay. Boo. I appreciate the feedback. Boo. Boo. I don't like that at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think I've ever been in a play or at a play where an audience member booed. Have you? I, I can't think. That I have. Uh, so I've done a lot of children's theater over the years, and so there's one instance. I don't think that counts, but please continue. You mean children booing? Well, so children. So if you're performing for kids, kids yeah. are very, very honest. And if you're playing the bad guy, especially, yeah, that and you do a okay, good, okay, if you I, do a good job, that's, they might boo. But that's almost that's but, like the applause. But that's like version welcome. Of it. Boo. Yes, okay. exactly. That's. Uh, that's audience being into the show. That's yes. the, what I'm saying is I've never like a mean spirited boo. No, yeah. I've never. Yeah, if I've you know if, if <laughs> what what actually happens in the modern age, uh, you know, if somebody really uh, dislikes you, there's this magic thing called the internet. So they'll they'll rather than booing at you and risking confrontation, <laughs> they will uh, you know just so I go think online. What I've seen, if you can tell, if you're in the audience or on stage, if you can tell that someone is displeased with the performance is during curtain call they will not clap or not stand mm, if when, everyone else does yeah yes. and they obviously don't have a mobility issue or it's not that or they will sit there with their arms crossed and not oh someone did boo a play but i don't want to get into it okay. the last musical we were in because let's just say we were in a musical last summer two summers ago because COVID doesn't count whatever the last musical we were in, we tried to cut a line that we knew would elicit a boo yes. that did not age well, and we <laughs> legally could not cut uh-huh. that line because the copyright authors told us do not cut any of these lines. These lines are written for specific reasons, so we left the line in. The line wasn't okay in the 90s. It was not okay in 2019, and an audience member was not happy, and so in the middle of a song, they booed. It was not our fault. It was it was they, not a yeah. Okay. They so, get it. It doesn't really count. <laughs> but so I I as I talked, I realized that <laughs> I have been in a situation. I was not on stage. But uh, in any but, case, uh, don't boo people. Uh, don't boo. It took it took Michael uh, facing it down himself uh, to to understand that that's not cool. <laughs> right. Uh, and then we jump ahead. There's Dwight and Aaron's. Uh, Dwight and Aaron. 
That'd be a weird pairing. There's Dwight and Angela in their car. Jim and Pam get home. Finally, we get to backstage. And I actually like this scene with Michael, even though he's been, some people would say passive aggressive, but when he tries to compliment Andy and he just tells Andy his true thoughts and feelings um, and doesn't sugarcoat anything. Please, God, what's wrong with you? Andy, listen to me, look me in the eye. I thought that you were awesome. Stop just saying that. I am not just saying that. You can trust that I am telling you the truth. I booed someone tonight. <laughs> I have no filter. And if I thought you were terrible, I would have booed. And if I thought you had done a better job, I would be saying nicer things right now. But I thought that you were exactly awesome. I like that. That's nice. It, yeah. It's not the nicest compliment, but for Michael, he I like that he's saying... I'm being completely honest. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Yeah, right. You weren't great. You weren't amazing, but you were awesome. And yeah. I, I think, and especially, like, that's a good thing to do. You know, it's hard to get your boss out to see a show. So it's a big deal that he came anyway. So I, I'll say this. Um, you know, I've had I've had that experience. I know you have, too, where you managed to get, you know, a, a group of coworkers to come see you in a, in a production. And, um, you know, it, it's a feat to get that group of people together and to get them to come out to see you. One thing I've never seen them do is stay after. I was going to say, because <laughs> when I see a play, because I guess I am a performer was before COVID turned the world upside down. It is seen as a sign of politeness to your, if you are seeing a show and you have a friend or acquaintance in the show, it is considered polite to wait around after the show by the stage door in the lobby, wherever that actor is going to exit, just to say, hey, great job. I'm going to go home now, but I just want us to to talk face-to-face and for me to just compliment you. And as an actor, that's a great feeling. It's awesome, because you yeah. know that Because you know that your friend is coming and you want their approval so much. You want them to enjoy the show. You want them to have a good time you as an actor you don't want to feel like you have wasted your friends or your co-workers time right. by them giving helps. up their evening so it's so nice when you know when you're looking at the audience and you see your friends relatives loved ones and then you go into the lobby or whatever and they're there yeah That's good. it's always a weird thing when you know they're there and then as an actor you get into the lobby and then they're not there, like they have left. And you're like, and they don't text you, being like, "Oh, I have to go go home to relieve the sitter. Or I have to go home because of trains." Blah blah blah. At least my paranoid actor brain tends to think, "Oh no, did did they hate the show? Do they hate me? Are they mad at me?" Which is probably not the case. I think if someone sees a show and then leaves, like they think it's just kind of like a movie, like, "Oh, it's over. I'm gonna go yeah. home." So ninety nine percent of the time, it's not a personal slight at all. If someone does not stick around, but as an actor, it means so much if your coworkers do. So it is nice that the entire office stuck around yeah. to say that he. I can imagine them sticking around the lobby and talking with him. I guess what I meant is they're definitely not uh, having a cast party with him backstage. Uh, and uh, like they're not staying in the theater past time and then singing songs together. That That was a little different, but... Oh, you're saying what happened in this episode? Yeah. I mean, yeah, a little uncommon, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I yeah, don't know. but yes, if you if you if you do go to see your coworkers in a but play, I mean, but it's also like, oh, there's a party, there's free oh, snacks they and would. drinks. Yeah, so that makes I'll, sense. I'll, I'll stick around. It's a closing night party. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, but they're also what we've seen from the show is they're a tight knit yeah. office group. Um, 
Yeah, so, so it's nice of them. Then we get, I just, I just keep writing down beautiful theater. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote down 300 seats. Like, I'm trying to guess. I'm trying the, to guess what this house is. I know that they to... film in Los Angeles, and they probably film this in a professional Los Angeles theater, but sure. I, I can't get over how immaculate this community theater is, because I would imagine Andy Bernard performing in a church ping pong hall, which I may or may not have performed (laughs) into, but I do think that this theater is a little above Andy's pay grade, a little (laughs) above his class, but I think I've seen this episode too many times, so now I'm just nitpicking. Uh, And then we finally see, I guess Michael is auditioning for another play. I can't tell whether this was his original audition. Because they do mention that when he auditioned for Sweeney Todd, he did a Law and Order monologue. Yes, he probably just has one monologue. But anyway, we get to see Michael Scott actually auditioning for something. In the criminal justice system, the people are represented by two separate but equally important groups: the police who investigate the crimes and the district attorneys who prosecute the offenders. These are their stories. I'm just a cleaning lady. Wrapped his belt around his own neck. It looks like a classic case of autoerotic asphyxiation. Yeah, it looks like everybody's tightening their belts in this economy. <laughs> bum, 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 bum. Last time you saw the victim, was he happy? Last time I saw this, John, he was he wasn't a victim, if you know what I'm talking about. Thank you. No, that was just part, I'm just getting into the first act. Oh my god, this, oh. I love this person. I love that he's playing, like, the prostitute, too. <laughs> um, so, this scene actually hits very close to me. I don't know if you've ever had an audition that went wrong, that went like this. This I'm going to tell a story that I've never, I've told you, I've told no one else publicly, but about ten years ago, I had to audition for a comedy thing, and... The audition notice said, bring in three different characters and do three separate monologues. So I created three separate characters, three different comedic characters. And I was halfway through my second one. And I got very sharply cut off like that. Like they were, I was in the middle of the second monologue. And it was like how Michael Scott was doing it where there may have been a blue or inappropriate joke, but then it was going to lead to something different. Like, yeah. there, was, there was going to be a turn. I don't remember what the monologue was. I do remember I had a point to it, and I got cut off right before I got to my <laughs> turn, and they said, thank you, and it stopped. And here's where the story gets sad. The person who cut me off is now on Saturday Night Live. Oh. And I will not say anything more about that story. Wow. But that... So I, I do feel yeah. for Michael in that instance. I don't know. Have you ever had a uh, audition that did not go well? Has been helpful. Nev- well, fuck off. Ne- never. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think that comes with the territory. Um, you know, everyone has a bad audition every now and then. So if, if, if any young... Uh, uh, aspiring theater performers are listening to this. Um, don't ever let a bad audition get you down. You know, it's a numbers game. Um, we've all uh, had those experiences. And they just uh, make it so that when you do have that rock star audition, uh, you know, it, it makes up for it. Yeah, I, I guess for a bad audition, you know, everything in life is a learning experience. So 
I don't know. I don't think I ever did any of those monologues again. And, and, and the thing is, you should um, be you should be proud that you created those characters. And <laughs> damn it, why didn't they let you finish anyway? And I, I'll tell you that's that, that thank you that thank you in an audition room can slap. I mean, <laughs> I mean, there's there's a polite way to I, say it, and there's a passive aggressive way to say it. So I I run a I run a I run a good I run a tight uh, audition room, but a kind one. <laughs> yeah. Okay, any other final thoughts or comments about this episode of The Office? No, I, I thought it was funny. Um, I think, I, I love how um, Stanley slept through, um, like, each Office member that, that, that was in this episode uh, and went to the show reminds me of a, of a, of a stereotype, like, a, of a trope of an audience member in real theater. You know, there's that guy mm-hmm. that's asleep. There's that guy that's talking. There's that guy that brought his own wine. Um, <laughs> or stole it from Or, or stole it. Um, I really, um, I, I like how they, like you said earlier, I like how they uh, hand, like they really did sort of um, capture the essence of like, oh, this is a good community theater production, an enjoyable one. So yeah, I, I thought it was great. Yeah, I like this episode. It's good. Yeah. And you get to see a different side of, like, I think Andy really did a great job as the, the actor really did a great job of capturing what it is to like that, that elation that you feel after a, a great performance, albeit one that was interrupted by cell, his own cell phone. <laughs> yeah, there is a thing where when you're an actor in a show, you are so excited about that. And yeah. for you, it's your entire world, but you don't always remember that for everyone else, like, they don't really care. They They care because... Like a lot of audience, your coworkers especially may not be super into it. They're into it because you're right into it, and they want to support you. But they are they themselves would probably like Stanley they rather are, rather be home. They are not watching on the, TV. You know, they are not they are, they're experiencing your journey as an actor through you, but uh, they are not on the journey with you. You know exactly. So. <laughs> and you know, and to wrap it up, I have had coworkers from my office come to my shows and I'm always very grateful. Yeah, it's awesome. There's, it's, it's, there's it's a nothing good feeling. It's good to see friendly faces when you're when you're when you're putting yourself in what is arguably a very vulnerable place. Exactly. And you know what other friendly faces I would like to see? Yes. I would like to see the friendly faces of our listeners <laughs> through their text. Not don't send me screenshots. Don't send right. nudes. <laughs> uh, I mean if you I don't care. Send whatever you want. Send what I would like you to send us if you have suggestions of an episode of, of a TV show you would like to hear us talk about for an hour, <laughs> please send those suggestions to our email address, which is spearsandchatpodcast at gmail.com, or connect with us on the internet on Facebook at Spears and Chat or on Instagram at Spears and Chat Podcast. Next week, which actually is probably going to be two weeks from now, we'll we'll be watching. This might be a surprise for you, John. Oh, Saved by the Bell, what? Snow White and the Seven Dorks. Okay, that's the episode where they put on a rap version of Snow White, and they predate Hamilton <laughs> they, by two and a half decades. They were ahead of their time. <laughs> <laughs> they were a lot of things. Uh, our artwork for our podcast is done by molly roth and our theme song is written and composed by mickey hommel if you have the time please rate and review us on itunes or wherever you get your podcast a five-star rating is so easy for you to do guys it's clicking a button so you click <laughs> buttons all day long we're all in the matrix just clicking buttons <laughs> but clicking five stars and writing a review 
helps us so much on that platform. If you hate the show, please send it to all your enemies and make <laughs> them suffer. Until next time, I'm Matt Pullman. And I'm Jonathan Emerson. And remember, break, break a leg! leg.